We turn to this morning to the, we return this morning to the prophecy of Haggai. Uh, that would be uh, two, three books before the end of the Old Testament. So if you find Matthew, turn left, and you will be there in, in a little bit. Um, it's only two pages in my Bible and not much longer in any other. It's only two chapters long. It's before the book of Zechariah, which is pretty lengthy compared to those, uh, and then before the book of Malachi then as well. Uh, Malachi is the latest book in the, the Old Testament. That's why it appears last. It is post-exile. It's post, um, well, it's supposed to the re- entire return to Jerusalem by the children of Judah. And then Haggai and Zechariah, if you were here last week, I told you they were contemporaries. If you look in chapter 1 of both of those books, you'll see that their prophecies happen in the same period of time. And Malachi was actually about 100 years later, and it deals with the coming, specifically the coming of the Messiah. Now, Haggai, which is a fun word to say, as I said last week, it's transliterated out of Hebrew, it would be Haggai. Every chance I get to say that, I'm going to do that. So, anyway, uh, that is a, uh, a prophet. And one of the things I said I was going to say last week and didn't get back to is that his name is significant because of the time that they were ministering. Haggai's name is a transliteration, a translation of the word festival or party. Now, this works out because many of the things that are mentioned in this short book within the few months that he ministers center around different festivals, including today's passage. The, the, the date that is given for this was at the completion of the, the uh, Day of Atonement in the, the fall of the year. Now, remember, our calendars, are we, we are under the Julian calendar, which doesn't actually line up with this calendar, but some significant things changed along the way. If you go back further into the prophets, into the earlier prophets, you'll see that they'll say when they uh, ministered in the context of the kingdom of Israel. Well, here we see that these prophets, these later prophets, minister within the context of the kingdom of Persia. And the, the, the times that they see we can document historically because of that. And that's one of the important things to realize about the Bible as a whole. The Bible is not a book that exists just as a a book out of nowhere. It is life that has happened in history and recorded in specific times throughout the Scriptures. Now, there are some debates on some, some dates within those things. When exactly was the Exodus, whether it was in the 13th century B.C. or the 15th century B.C., some of those kinds of things. But when we get to later dates like this, you can pretty well pin it down to the precise date on our calendar if you worked backwards. And this was in 520 B.C. in the harvest time of the year in August and September. And uh, so what would be in our calendar, August and September, when it says the seventh month there. So the date and the, of these events matters because of the kinds of things he's telling them along the way. This is in the middle of the return of Judah from Babylon and Persia and the Medes and the Persians to Jerusalem. 
This is not the completion. This is in the midst of it. The parallels can be found in Ezra chapter 3. You see some of these prophets named along the way. Haggai, is, he comes in and he says what he says, and it's likely that what we read here was a summary of his spoken word simply because it is so short. If you go into Zechariah, the next page, it's like 13 chapters long, and he would classify as one of the writing prophets, and like Daniel, like Isaiah, like Jeremiah. But many of these shorter prophets, it's more than likely that like a secretary wrote down what they had to say. Because we get history along the way, and then we get what their message was. And so last week's was the encouragement, the command for the children of Israel to get back to work. The children of Judah to get back to work. They had, a few of them had been sent back, and they had started rebuilding the temple because the temple had been utterly destroyed in the day of Nebuchadnezzar. But they got distracted by their own house. Now, this mattered because that the, the temple was the center, the location of where the people met God. And the, the destruction of the temple, if we read books like Habakkuk, if you read books, uh, even Isaiah and some of those in there, you will see that the destruction comes because of discipline. The children of Judah had fallen into idolatry, and God was tired of it. He, was, he told them, you need to knock it off, or else you're going to face this problem. And so, the destruction came. The land was at rest for 70 years, those jubilee years that they had neglected. And now, God calls the children of Judah to return in order to fulfill his prophecy. And that's where Haggai stands here. He speaks to the children of Israel, as we looked at last time, to be the agents of restoration, to get back to work in building the temple. And now we're going to see what happens when they do. Because many times, when we are obedient, we run into challenges of opposition and discouragement. And that's precisely what the children of Judah face here. So I invite you to stand. We'll read the first nine verses of chapter 2, the prophecy of Haggai, together. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when I, we came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and on the earth and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. 
And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Lord, may your peace come in our lives and our hearts today. And may we continue to realize that that is offered only through your son, Jesus. In his name, amen. I'm going to check for something real quick before I get rolling here. Stealing something off of Zach's stand. So I don't think he's going to be using this, but I'm going to be using it later. All right. Uh, So one of the things, there are several little details along the way I want to draw your mind to here. One of the things here right at the start is what the Lord calls himself in this passage. First of all, you see it in all caps. That, and, and in other places in the Old Testament, you'll see it in capital L, lowercase o-r-d. Many people think that it is an offense to not write the name of the Lord with all caps because that's the way they see it in the Scripture. But if you're honest about it and you look through all of the Scripture, you will see that it's inconsistent. That's because it's being translated from two different words. When you see it in all caps, it is a transliteration of the Tetragrammaton. I'm glad you asked, what in the world is that? It's the YHWH. It's Yahweh. Or as we transliterated it, and I'll come back to that in a second, Jehovah. And when it says here, you'll see that it says the Lord, capital O-R-L-O-R-D, of hosts. In other translations, you'll see the Lord of armies. You will see that the Haggai is consistent in this. The Lord's name is the the one that goes into battle. God is a God that will contend for his people. And that's really what we see. And it it goes back even, I mentioned it this morning, Caitlin and I were going through our stuff. Uh, It goes all the way back into the Exodus and the conquest of Canaan that we see that the Lord is one of peace, but he is not afraid to take care of the problems when they occur. And this is one of the things that we are reminded of along the way. The children of Judah are being intimidated by the nations around them to not rebuild the temple because the temple is a picture of trouble to the world around it. They don't want that temple back because Jerusalem was a problem. Now, if you are curious about that, I invite you this afternoon to go read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and see that 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 all play out here because that's where this is falling into. But they are facing consistent intimidation from the nations around it, these other uh, governances of Persia that don't want Jerusalem to return. Yet Cyrus, that king, and Darius and others that are coming along the way have said that they have permission to rebuild their temple and return to their land. But they get scared. But the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of armies, Yahweh, is the one who brings the victory. So that's an important realization of who they see God to be in this moment. Also, you see particularly, what verse was it? In verse 4, something happened over and over and over. He says to them, be strong. And in that translation, you see up here on the screen, it says, take courage. Depending on the translation you read, and I'm going to come back to that a little bit too, because there's, there's another spot here. 
Bible translation is very particular, and uh, they try to be very careful and very accurate when they translate the Bible. But there are different ways to trans, translate different words. And depending on the version you're reading, one of the versions I was looking at this week is the New American Standard Version. It says, take courage. And this, it says, be strong. Now, think about it for a moment. Those are two sides of the same coin. Right? The question is, why did they do that? Well, really what it was here is, a, is, a, is a, an encouragement to the leaders and to the people to be faithful to the task that God has put before them. And it's with that fulfillment that we find the whole picture come together. So, again, we see that the 21st day of the month, uh, the, no, sorry, the seventh month and the 21st day of the month, this is the culmination, this is the day of atonement, this is Yom Kippur on the calendar, if you've heard that in, in the context of the Jewish calendar. It is a picture of when the Jews celebrate the price paid for sin through the high priest and his offering at the temple. So, the party's happening. They've been at it about three weeks. Remember, the, the, well, six weeks, it says here. Six month on the first day of the month. Now we're in the seventh month on the 21st day of the month. And they've kind of gotten distracted again. You know, there's nothing that will really keep you from doing your work like a party. Right? Everybody likes a party. And, you know, we think of that. We, we, we want to put these things together. And, 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 I, and I've been in many of your homes. Man, you all can throw a real party. But there's a whole lot of work that goes into it. And I think about that when I invite people into my home. I don't, I don't want people to come in and go, Well, thanks for inviting me. My kids don't share that concern. I don't know. I don't get it. Anyway, um, but you come into somebody's home, there's been work done. They're prepared for it. So for this Day of Atonement, it's likely over the last several weeks, they've been getting ready for this party. Now God has said, I like your feasts, but this isn't what it's all about. It's about my faithfulness. And you have something to do that I told you about. Now you need to get back to work. And that's where we come through in verse 3 and 4. God asks them a question. He says, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How many of you are old enough to remember the temple? It's been 60, 70 years at this point since it was destroyed. You remember what the, how the temple is described as Solomon's temple as the most glorious facility in the world, built out of stone, wallpapered with gold leaf. I have, well, you know, the, the state capitol here has, has gold leaf on top of it, and apparently they've got to deal with that. But, you know, there is not anything more precious than the shine of gold. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And when Babylon set fire to the temple, they caught it in cups as it was melting off the stones, and they left no stone unturned, or they absolutely destroyed it. And now, as these people are rebuilding the temple, these people who saw the glory of it say, it's never going to look like it used to look. You know what? I hear a lot of people say that about America. I see, and I hear a lot of people say that about the church. It's never going to look like it once did. And you may be right, you may be wrong, whatever that is. But God is telling the people here, 
don't get caught up in the mess that you are in right now. But be encouraged by the promise. What is the promise? I'm glad I asked. This is what we see now in verse 4. It says, be strong, O Zerubbabel. Be strong, O Joshua. Be strong, you people of the land. Take courage, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Don't get lost in, in, in your discouragement and your frustration of where you are because I have given you something to do and I don't disappoint. God is recalling the people of Judah back to the proper place of worship. That is why we are created. And that is why God has called us to this place. I started thinking about that phrase, and I want to draw us back to the story of Joshua. Because Joshua, if you'll remember, was Moses' right-hand man. He was one of the spies who went into the, the promised land with Caleb and the other ten. Nobody remembers the other ten. I wonder why. But they go and they, they wander through the land for 40 days and they look and they see and they bring back fruit to the people. And 10 of the spies of the 10 tribes of, of Israel say, they're too big, they're too mean, we can't take them. But Joshua and Caleb realize that it's not them that's going to take them, it's the Lord. But they took a vote. What happened? Those people end up, instead of going to take the land that God has prepared for them, end up wandering a year for every day that those spies went into the wilderness. And that's 40 years, and that's a long time. At the end of that 40 years, when all of those people have died in the land and scattered throughout the land and they've buried them, there's two people left. Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua gets put in charge of the children of Israel. And what, is he, what does God tell them to do? He tells them to cross the Jordan and take out the entire nation, the, the nations that go before you. Because that is, those, they're idolaters and they're going to distract you from me. And in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 9 of the book of Joshua, we see a phrase that is repeated over and over and over to Joshua. A reminder to him because his task is intimidating. Verse 9 says, I have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Many times we just get caught up in the be strong and courageous part. Buck up, pull up your bootstraps. I've never had those, but I hear it said. What does it mean, though? It means that we recognize that the one who brings the victory goes before us. God is in charge of this whole melee that we don't see the end of. And we are to follow him. We are to be strong and courageous. Courageous? That's a new word. Courageous 
Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He says that, I think, four times in, the, in chapter 1. I didn't chase all of them down there. But over and over and over and over and over, this is what God is telling Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Now, a thousand years later, what is the message that the Lord has for his people? Take courage. Be strong. Do not be afraid of the people around you because I have a purpose for you. That purpose is worship. Now, in verse 6, it continues on here. For the Lord says, this is back in Haggai 2. I'm not in Joshua anymore. Although I'm going back there. So, For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. In older translations, particularly the King James, we see a different word in the middle of verse 7 that says the desire of nations. This is why I got this book out. I want you to turn to in your hymnals, turn over in your hymnals. Let's see if that happen. No, turn in your hymnals to number 175. And look at verse 4. Of O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, desire of nations. Bind all peoples in one heart and mind. Bid envy, envy, strife, and quarrels cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. Throughout the history of the church, this passage here has been interpreted in prophecy to mean the fulfillment of God in Jesus. And so we see these translations. Like I said, there's a, there's a lot of ways to translate words. And so one of the complications is that word for treasures or desire or, or whatever. They don't know whether to make it um, a, like a, a verb or a noun. And they don't know whether to make it single or plural. But what we find here is the same idea. Because who does not desire treasure? Now some of you would say very piously, well, I don't. Liar. We want our, if anything, we don't want to have to think about our money. We want to be able to go and, and buy whatever we want to without having to think about it. No, what we find is that God's fulfillment is that desire of nations, the real, true desire that we have nations. That treasure we have is our Savior. And so this fulfillment, ultimately, what God is telling the people here, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, is don't get caught up in the physical structure because i got bigger plans than that. i got bigger things on, on my mind than that, and that is the salvation of all people. And that will come through me. And this is why you are here. Why was it important for the children of Judah in the context of history to return to their land? One word, Jesus. Because that line would be fulfilled in the time of Quirinius. I can't even say that word. Luke chapter 2, right? The days of Augustus Caesar. History comes to fulfillment 
in that moment. And this morning, Caitlin and I were looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, like what we looked at where our memory verse is. And what is the context of the verse that we are learning? Well, it's a warning against idolatry. Why was the temple destroyed? Because of Judah's idolatry. All of these things come back to this person who brings the fulfillment of history, this desire of nations as we sing these hymns of Advents. That is this one, Jesus, the Savior of our world. And so God is telling the children of Israel, don't get caught up in this temple that you don't think looks as good as the old one. Because that's not where it's coming anyway. And ultimately, this temple, which lasts four or five hundred years, they end up calling it Herod's temple. History happens anyway, all along the way. In AD 70, what happens to that temple? It's destroyed. And we're still waiting for that fulfillment where the temple is once again restored at Christ's return. Be strong. Take courage, because the Lord will bring fulfillment to history. You know, I, I think about the passages that talk about the wars and the rumors of war, and, and how many times we say we're waiting for Christ's return, and it absolutely it brings the fulfillment of history. And we need to be encouraged by that, not fearful of our circumstances where we find ourselves today. I don't want to be at war in this world. I don't like what I see when I turn on the news. I don't understand everything that's happening as it is in the world, except that Christ has promised His fulfillment and His return. And as we face these uncertain times, He calls us to fulfill His great commission. And that is that we would see His glory come in our world today. Because there's nothing more glorious than a life that is saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we come and are troubled by the circumstances we face, and we, we think that we're under attack, and, and, and we might actually be, but we might not be from the places we thought we, we would be. Confusion reigns. Let us be mindful that the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts, has declared His victory. And that victory was found in the empty tomb. And the victory is promised in His return. And so this coming now, this, this point of history comes and is predicted here, he says. Everything belongs to the Lord. Where does it say that? I'm glad you asked. Verse 8, the silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. The greatest victory we find is the peace which passes all understanding that we find alone in our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of this passage in this history. And we find that, well, what we wonder, you know, will it ever be like it was here? You know, because, you know, we used to have this many people coming on Sunday mornings and this and that. The question was, was the glory of the Lord there and is it still here? That's what we need to be pursuing. And the glory of the Lord is that we see people come to be faith in Jesus Christ. 
and grow in His grace, find salvation in His name to fulfill His commission to go into all the nations and make disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And He is with us even until His return. Are we really looking at the Scriptures through the eyes of eternity? And we, are we considering the trials we face in our lives today in the context of the Scriptures? So many people say that this book's too old to make any difference. But I know for a fact that the people that l truly live by this book and live by the promise that is Jesus have this thing that the world seems to be missing called peace. And it will guard our hearts as we trust in Jesus Christ. Will you be obedient to what God has in store through His Word? Will you trust Him to bring that fulfillment? Don't live in fear. That's where I'm going to come back to Joshua. I almost forgot. Joshua chapter 24. After all of these battles, Joshua is an old man. And he lays it before the children of Israel. Chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose this day whom you serve. Let's pray. Our God, there is so much trial, tribulation, struggle in our world. Help us to trust you in the midst of it. Trust us in our relationships in our home. Trust us in our workplace. Trust us in our neighborhoods. Trust us in our communities. Trust you to do this work in us, to be strong and courageous and declare the land, the, the love of the Lord in the land of the living. Help us to trust you today, to bless you in spirit and in truth. I pray for the one who needs to make a commitment to you today that they would be bold in their obedience. To not be fearful of the circumstances in this world, but to realize that to fear you is to obey you, to bless you in obedience and, and trust and to realize that you've done it for us in Jesus. I thank you for your grace, Lord, and guide our hearts to be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Altar's open if you need to make a decision for him. Trust in him today.